Good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure and an honor for me to be up here speaking to you all today. You may be wondering why we're taking a little break from our uh, series in James from, that Pastor Ryan is leading us in. And like you heard in the announcements, it's because we wanted you to experience what the 45 or so children from our communities got to experience through this past week. Bethany and I co-taught the lessons each day and adjusted the message by age group, ranging from the youngest, that was four-year-olds, to our oldest, 10-year-olds. Each group had its unique challenges, and each group blessed us in so many ways. In a lot of ways, it was preparing, almost preparing for a missions trip. You never knew what to expect every day, but each day we came, and God blessed us more and more as we were going on throughout the week. Our theme of the week was Psalm 23, often known as the Shepherd Psalm. Each day we learned a new verse of this psalm, which went along with the story from the Bible. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Jesus tells us about a sower. Jesus tells us about a lost son. And finally, on Friday, we learned about Jesus appearing to Mary in the garden. As you could tell by the stories, the theme of the week was Jesus, and specifically how he gathers us all together. You could see on our back wall today that we have posters that illustrated these stories that we use to give the children context each day. Through the lessons and stories we taught from the Bible, the children heard the gospel message and good news of Jesus Christ. I won't have time to touch on each of these stories today, but I do want to encourage you to reread them on your own or possibly read them for the first time. Rather than teaching on all of the stories we talked about this week, I'm going to be camped out in Psalm 23 today. Even if this is your first time in church and you have no idea of the other stories I just mentioned, my guess is that Psalm 23 is a psalm that is familiar with you. Whether it was a line used in a movie or you heard it during a funeral service, or perhaps you maybe remember, remember it from the classic song uh, by Coolio, Gangsta's Paradise, this is a psalm that has been used and sometimes abused by speakers in mainstream entertainment. It's a psalm that Christians and non-Christians alike turn to in times of trouble and sorrow in their lives. And it's a psalm that we often teach our children at an early age, like we did this past week. One of the main concepts that we tried to get the children to understand each day is that psalm, was that this psalm was written by an actual person, David. Max Lucado wrote, Psalm 23 was written by a shepherd who became a king because he wanted us to know about a king who became a shepherd. I just love the way he puts that. This week, I was reminded through the eyes of our campers of the boldness and lack of fear you have when you are young. I think as we, we as adults forget that our Bible heroes, that I, I think as adults, we forget that our, our Bible heroes, like David, who took out a Philistine giant with a slingshot, Noah, who saved humanity by building an ark when everyone around him said he was crazy, and Daniel, who was thrown into a lion's den for defending his faith, Peter and Paul, who would go to the ends of the earth to tell others about what they witnessed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrections, were real people, just like you and me. The things they did to stand up for their faith in times of true trials were great examples to us. They depended on God, and he came through for his people over and over again. It's not known for sure at what point in David's life this psalm was written, but the confidence and experience that are expressed in each word makes us believe that the psalm was written by someone who has gone through some trials in their life. Someone who has experienced some high highs, but who has also gone through the lowest of lows. It is also understood that the writer of the psalm was most certainly a shepherd who knew the tendencies of his sheep quite intimately. He knew the job of a shepherd quite well, yet we also hear in the later verses imagery that would only come from a true king. 
Throughout the week, we really tried to impress on the children the imagery and similarities used when referring to a shepherd and his sheep that we see between the Lord and us. Before we go any further, let's take a moment to read the psalm together. Each day, we had each of their children get their hands on a physical Bible. For some, we could tell that they had never opened a Bible before. And for someone in here today, this might also be the case for you. We had them look up the words for themselves, and we read the verses together as a group. As you probably noticed when you came in today, we had Bibles scattered throughout the chapel. We're not going to be putting the words up on the screen today, but instead we're going to be reading the words straight from the great book, in particular the NIV version. If you would, please turn with me to the middle of your Bible to Psalms. If you turn to Job, just keep going a little bit further, and if you turn to Proverbs, you can go back a few pages. The names are the books of the Bible at the top of your pages, the bold numbers are the chapters, and the small numbers are the verses. That's what we taught the kids each week. We'll give everyone a sec to turn to Psalm 23, it's on page 392 if you need a little cue, and if you don't have a Bible at home, or this is your first time you've seen a Bible in a long time, please take this one home today as a gift from us, and uh, read it. And although we will be breaking the psalm down verse by verse today, one thing I don't want to lose is the beauty that Psalm 23 has when it is read as a whole. There's something about these words that when they're read together are just a beautiful work of literature. So would you please stand with me and let's read this verse together today. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, Lord, thank you so much for being our good shepherd. Thank you for putting people like David before us so that we can learn more about you and your character. And Father, we thank you so much for preserving these ancient texts for so many years. We thank you for those who risked their lives to translating these words for us. And we thank you for the freedom to be able to read them aloud in a public setting today. Lord, allow us to hear directly from you today and help us to focus our attention on what you have for us. In your precious son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord is my shepherd. The fourth word of this psalm, although it's only a two-letter word, may be the most important word in the entire 23rd psalm. When David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, he is writing, he was not writing the psalm for all of Israel. He was not writing it for all of his kingdom. And he may not have written it for everyone in this room today. When David refers to the Lord as my shepherd, he is distinguishing the Lord as his. I think one of the biggest mistakes we make in this psalm is reading it in isolation. I guarantee just about everyone in this room knew right away that we, when we said we were going to be learning from Psalm 23 today, you knew we would be talking about the Lord being our good shepherd. 19th century British preacher Charles Spurgeon said this one, this of the 23rd Psalm. The position of this psalm is worthy of notice. It follows the 22nd, which is peculiarly the psalm of the cross. 
There are no green pastures, no still waters on the other side of the 22nd Psalm. It is only after we have read, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, that we come to the Lord as my shepherd. We must, by experience, know the value of bloodshedding and see the sword awaken against the shepherd before we shall be able to truly know the sweetness of the good shepherd's care. To understand and appreciate the Psalm, Psalm 23 in all of its glory and to enjoy the blessing it is, we must understand that this psalm falls after Psalm 22 for a reason. We first see the psalm of the cross, the psalm that foretells 1,000 years before Jesus is born the suffering he would go through on our behalf. After we truly marvel and believe what is told in Psalm 22, can we then claim that the Lord is my shepherd? David, although he was a shepherd, is not speaking as the shepherd in this psalm. He is speaking as a sheep. We see the shepherd theme displayed often throughout the books of the Bible. In John 10, Jesus names himself the good shepherd. In verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when, the, when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. For those of you who have may have been here uh, last year for our series, Who Is This Man? Rob Johnston painted a great picture of Jesus being the good shepherd. One of the things he talked about was the characteristic of sheep. When I asked the children this week what they knew about sheep, one of the most common answers were that they were dumb. <laughs> After we all got our giggles out, we tried to get them to use kinder terminology like not bright. <laughs> but the truth is, sheep are dumb. They're also defenseless, they're slow, they have no claws, no sharp teeth to defend themselves. They're easily frightened, and they be can become very skittish. Sheep wouldn't make it very long in the wild. In fact, if, if they didn't have someone to cut their wool, they could topple over and might not be able to get up. Sheep are in desperate need of a shepherd. Apologist and pastor Vadi Bachman goes even further, saying, and unless we have the humility to think of ourselves like sheep, then you don't understand the nature of sin. Sin takes a sheep and makes him think he's a wolf who doesn't need a shepherd. We are in desperate need of a shepherd. And despite all of our adverse characteristics, when Jesus tells us he is the good shepherd, he's letting us know that he wants to take care of our needs. Shepherds are by their sheep every side, by their side every hour of every day. And just like a herd of sheep know the call of their shepherd, Jesus, our good shepherd, calls us by name and he invites us to follow him. Ezekiel 34, 12, and 15. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. God declared through his prophet Isaiah that he will tend his flock like a sheep. He will gather the lambs in his arms, Isaiah 40, 11. When the Lord calls himself a shepherd, he is telling us that he wants to do only one thing, take care of you and take care of me. Psalm 23.2, and I promise we'll move through this a little bit quicker. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. Oddly enough, it is almost impossible for sheep to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Because of their timidity, they must be free of all fear. Due to their social behaviors, they must be free from friction with other sheep. They won't lie down if they are tormented by flies or parasites, and only when free of these pests can they actually relax. 
and they won't lie down if they are in need of finding food. To be at rest, they must be free from fear, tension, aggravations, and hunger. And it is only the shepherd who can provide them freedom for the sheep from these anxieties. And how true is this for us as humans? How many nights do we lie awake in fear of what the future holds, anxious about the stresses of tomorrow? Sheep cannot rest until all of their needs are satisfied. And just like sheep, it is only when we cast all of our troubles upon Jesus that we could truly find rest in our Savior, knowing he is taking care of our needs, body and soul. 1 Peter 5.7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There is nothing in the Christian life that takes the place of Christ's presence to dispel the fear, the panic, and the terror of the unknown. 2 Timothy 1.7, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. When our mind will not stop worrying, give it over to him, who will lead you, in, and lie, lead you to lie down in green pastures. Psalm 23.3, He refreshes my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Sheep are notorious creatures of habit. They will stay within the same pastures and trails until they become actual wastelands. Not only will they eat the grass down to the dirt, but they will actually rip the roots out as well. Some of you may be thinking here today, I can use some sheep for my yard so I don't have to cut the grass anymore. Sheep cannot just be left to fend for themselves. They need to be handled with intelligent care. And shepherds take great pride in leading their flocks. Their reputations and their livelihood are dependent on how well they care for each and every sheep they are in charge of. They know the greatest safeguard for their sheep is to keep the flock on the move. And they work out their grazing patterns well in advance so that the sheep do not feed on the same ground for too long. Shepherds will lead their sheep on new loops of pasturage each day and return to the base camp at night, very similar to the signs of a clover. As we look at this from our perspective, how many similarities do we see here in ourselves? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, Isaiah 53, 6. Philip Keller, who was once a shepherd before he became a pastor and an author, wrote, there is something almost terrifying about the destructive self-determination of a human being. It is inexorably interlocked with personal pride and self-assertion. We insist we know what is best for us, even though the disastrous results may be self-evident. Just like sheep, we will literally follow each other off cliffs. How often do we cling to the habits in our lives that are destroying us? On Wednesday, when we were explaining this lesson to the children, we asked them to name some bad habits. Each of them was able to spout off something that was keeping them from enjoying the true blessings God has intended for all of us. I ask the same of you today. This includes non-Christians and Christians alike. What are the things God is calling you from today that is keeping you from traveling the path of righteousness? Despite the warning signs, we continue to make destructive decisions in our lives because we follow our own way of doing things. Mark 8:34, Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is not a one-time thing we must do. This is something we have to do daily. Every day there's something blocking our way from the path of righteousness, and Jesus knew that to do his will on our own, it was going to be impossible. That's why he sent us the Holy Spirit. Acts 5:32, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Just like we taught the children this week, if we all just quiet ourselves long enough, hearing from him, following the Holy Spirit, becomes easier and easier the more we do it each day. And if there is something that no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to break away from, 
please come meet with Pastor Ryan. I'm sure he'd be happy to, to be able to meet with you, and he'd be provide you with some really great resources to help you break the path of destruction. But please don't wait until it's too late. Set an appointment up with him today. On Thursday, we learned about Psalm 23:4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This verse might be one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. A shepherd will never take his flock where he hasn't already been before. Sometimes the quickest way to get from one mountaintop of a green pasture to the other is through a valley. Oftentimes, these valleys for sheep meant flooding rivers, avalanches, rock slides, poisonous plants, and of course, predators. Other animals and even robbers who knew they sh that sheep sh would be traveling through these valleys to get to greener pastures stand in the way. It is in this verse where we see David shift from referring to his Lord as he to you. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff come from me. I will fear no evil, not because of me, but because of you. No one likes to go through the valleys, but it's in the valleys of life where we are able to make some real traction in the Christian faith. It is when we go through the valleys where we truly seek strength and courage from the Lord. And it is the valleys of life that allow us to comfort and encourage others when they travel through those same valleys. It's where we see a 14-year-old boy and his family, who just found out he had a brain tumor, show the courage of David defending his flock and fighting off a bear and lion with a slingshot, never losing hope or showing signs of doubt in their God, seeking prayer from all angles and all people of our church, trusting that God would come through for them. And this past week, he had another checkup and a great report that the tumor has got gone. So praise God. It's where a single mom finds herself face down on the kitchen floor after losing her job, crying out to God to provide her family's next meal. And it's where God abundantly provides for her, so much so that she is able to bless another mom she knows by paying her electric bill. There's the common misconception that once we become a Christian, the valleys of life will disappear. But like Jesus tells us in John 16, 32, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. All of us will go through valleys in life, but it's how we travel through them that the world will take notice of it. When the world sees us uniting as one, moving together with boldness and courage, no matter what storms life throws at us, forgiving one another over and over again, it is then that the world will see who we are and want the freedom that we have in Christ. Psalm 23, 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Although there are some, some who really try to keep hard with the uh, sheep metaphor into Psalm 23, 5, I think God wants us to see something a little bit different in these verses. This metaphor goes beyond the shepherding metaphor. So what type of feast is this? Scripture doesn't expand on this specifically, but imagine the scene with me, if you will. Picture the type of feast Noah may have had after he told his sons to close the door to the ark. After all, the animals were locked in their cages. He asked the sons, are they safe? Yes, Dad. Is the door bolted shut? Yes, Dad. Okay, good. Sit down. Eat. Even as the rain begins to fall and people are banging on the door of the ark to let them in, Noah tells them they have to eat something and be grateful for their blessings despite what was happening around them. I picture this as the type of feast where in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat down with his disciples at the table while there were those who were hunting him down and to nail him to a cross. And I picture it as you and me in a few moments as we gather around this communion table, 
grateful that we are able to worship, even though we are living in a world and a community that does not know or love our God and sometimes hates and despises us because of him. That's the type of feast I picture David referring to, with overflowing cups and bountiful blessings, no matter what the circumstances. And finally, on Friday, we learned, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We tried to get the kids to understand the concept of infinity and what it would be like when we return home to our Lord in heaven. It's hard for us as adults to understand this concept and understand the word forever in its truest meaning, so getting the kids to grasp this concept was tough. It takes confidence to say goodness and love will follow you. Sure, it's easy to say when life is going well, but when our health starts to go, when we don't know where our next paycheck's coming from, when life seems to be attacking us from all angles, can we truly say that goodness and love are following me? It is in these moments where we need to constantly be living in awareness of God's presence. We need to remind ourselves of Lamentation 3, 22, and 23 often. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We should be proud to belong to Christ, to know that if we could fight the good fight, one day we're going to return to him and live with him in his house forever. And we should be proud to say this as Christians. We should be eager and quick to tell of the times in our lives when he led us to abundant green pastures and st st still clean waters, to new paths and to fresh new fields, where he gave us freedom from fear and a quietness and contentment to allow us to feast even when our enemies are encamped all around us. We should be proud to know that we have a shepherd that knows each one of us by name, we should be who went before us, guiding us every step of the way, a shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. But maybe this isn't what you picture when you think of Jesus. Perhaps the God you are familiar with seems distant or harsh, nothing like this good shepherd that we've been talking about today. And if this is the case, I want to encourage you to read Psalm 22 in a few moments as we prepare for communion. Just as David calls him my shepherd, you can also know him as your shepherd. He knows you by name. He calls to you, and he asks you to follow him. Take him up on this. Experience the peace that comes in the abundant green pastures and clean waters. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, once again, we just thank you so much for being a good shepherd. Lord, I thank you for being my good shepherd. Thank you for calling me by name and for guiding me every hour of every day. Lord, I pray now that you make me courageous, like the people you gave us in examples in the Bible. Help me not to be afraid to tell my story to those in my life, Lord. Make us a community of bold sheep ready to declare you as our good shepherd when we are in the green pastures of life but also when we are traveling through the valleys. And Father, if anyone in here doesn't know you as their good shepherd today, Lord, I give you the, ask to give them the courage, Lord, to step up and declare you as their shepherd. Lord, we thank you so much for the bountiful blessings you provide us with, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.